Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. Amen. 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 Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, he also speaks funny as well. <laughs> I've got nothing to say to that because I do. Uh, we'll, uh, I'll give you a few moments to uh, tune in to the beautiful, beautiful gutter teesside uh, that I speak. Uh, it is good to see you. I'm Nick Johnson. I... I'm whistling. 13 years ago, uh, about three weeks' time, I left King's Church. We spent about seven years here. Uh, first as a, as a student pastor. Some of you are going to be aged, I know, but under... Andy Ward kind of schooled me in all things, so he could understand me, you see. So uh, some of you might remember him. So Andy was a great disciple and, and really kind of blessed uh, my life. And then the church, for some crazy reason, employed me. Uh, and I did my curacy at King's Church. I know we're not Anglicans, but, you know, three and a bit years as associate pastor. And then 13 years ago, went north, not to the beautiful northeast, but to the beautiful uh, northwest. And we've been uh, in Liverpool for the last 13 years. It's an amazing place to live. It's cheap. <laughs> I mean, or at least cheaper than around here, I tell you. Amazing. I bought a round this weekend. I'm going to get a second mortgage. It'll be... Uh, it'll be fine. Just for those of you, I mean, some of you are not interested in this, but that's fine. Uh, but he's the family uh, behind you. Jack, our eldest son, is 20, I always get it wrong, three? Yeah, yeah I have to ask the wife. 23. Uh, Jack's studying for a PhD uh, in systematic theology. I know, ooh, uh, in uh, St. Andrews. Uh, Kate is working full-time with YWAM in Perth, Australia. Uh, she did a six-month DTS, came home for a few weeks, raised some more. Support and has gone back to Australia. People have asked us already this morning, how do you feel about that? Listen, parents, if you challenge your kids to seek first the kingdom of God, don't complain when they do. <laughs> and it could be worse. She could have gone somewhere you know, grim, couldn't she? So we're saving for holidays. Uh, and Harry is about a third of the way through his A-levels here he this morning. He would gladly not tell you about that. Um, Several weeks ago, I, uh, I started to think and pray about this morning. Uh, Paul asked me a while ago to speak, but I, I started to think and pray about it. You know, and I've been preaching for a long time. You might not be able to tell. But I've been, I've been preaching for a long time. I've got every single sermon I've ever preached from the last 18 years. I've got them all. Uh, and some of them are terrible. Uh, and uh, so you think, oh, great, get one out the fridge, right? You know, that, that, just heat it up, it'll be, it'll be fine. And I had a cracker for you. Uh, and the Lord's saying, that's not it. That's not it. And, and three weeks ago, uh, the Lord brings me to Second Kings chapter 5. And it wasn't until yesterday that I realized why he brought me to Second Kings chapter 5. The specific reason. It is about an infectious disease. Really. And here we are in a world of infectious disease. I mean, I'm amazed so many of you are here. I mean, it was a beautiful drive down the, down the motorway on Friday night. You know, normally it's a six-hour journey. We're just sailing through because the world are afraid. The world are afraid. You know, following Jesus does not give you immunity from coronavirus, but it gives you immunity from fear. Doesn't it? Some of you aren't sure because you're afraid. This virus could kill you. And it, when you die, where are you going? So what are you afraid about? 
We, we, we need to be the people of hope in a hopeless time. We need to be the people of joy in a joyless time, don't we? Great, I'm glad you're with me. We are going to read from 2 Kings uh, chapter 5. It's a classic. If you've spent your life in church, you'll have had a Sunday school story on it. If you haven't, this might be the first time. But that's okay. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll kind of navigate it together. So this is 2 Kings uh, 5. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Oh, sorry. He was a great man in the sight of his master. I remember, and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him that the girl from Israel, what the girl from Israel had said, by all means go, the king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. That is an awful lot of money. Huge amount of money. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of leprosy. Imagine getting a letter like that. That you may cure him. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes, tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent this message. Why have you torn your robes? Make the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, I really like this. So far he hasn't spoken to anybody. He just writes letters. I like that. He's chilled in his ministry. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. Shut up! Ouch! Ah! <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Sends him a little note. Go and have a bath. Are not Abana and Farpa? Isn't Farpa the best name ever? <laughs> it's the name of a river, but we should call our children Farpa. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, and the man of God, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. I will, uh, if you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god 
but the Lord. But my Lord, forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. That's a cracker, isn't it? Absolutely fab. So we're talking this morning about uh, being the one, being the one, being the one person that God has put in a particular and specific place. Because that's you. God has got a call on your life, hasn't he? He hasn't just got a call on Paul's life because he's a pastor. He's got a call on your life and God has put you in a place to be the person for this time, for this moment. In this season, God has got a call on your life. And he's expecting you to step up to that call. We need to think about Naaman for a second. He, Naaman has had a brilliant life, like some of you. He's had a brilliant life. You know, sometimes you hear those sermons, don't you, where the pastor starts saying, oh, I know your life's been tough. Well, this is not one of those sermons. Because some of you have had a fantastic life. Who was born in Buckinghamshire? Hands up, come on, let me see. Come on. Pretend, pretend you're involved. Great. Thank you. I mean, honestly, straight away, Buckinghamshire, you've got the accent. You haven't got this accent. As soon as people hear my accent, they think either he's going to steal the car or mug you or something. I mean, honestly, even in Liverpool, I've got a rough accent. I, I can't order a, 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 a Coke in Liverpool. Because I go to the bar and say, can I have a Coke? And they say, Oak? Can I have a Pepsi? We've only got Coke. I'll have one of them. <laughs> you, you've already got an advantage if you've got that accent. I know people who don't employ people with accents like mine. I mean, churches. We want posh kids, don't we? We want thin, tall, handsome posh kids. I mean, I've got three out of the four. <laughs> two, two out of the four. One. <laughs> Hang on. Anyway. Is, is, is some of you got that? He goes to Dr. Chalmers, Naaman. I mean, that's how good he is. He go, he's not dyslexic. He doesn't fail as 11 plus. We, we didn't have the 11 plus in the north. We just left school at 11. <laughs> he, brilliant. He goes to Dr. Chalmers. He doesn't even have to travel on the tube. He lives here. He's got the accent, he's got the school, he goes to the university, he goes to Cambridge or Oxford or one of those, he does his PhD somewhere fancy, he gets headhunted by the top firm, by the home office, by whoever he is, and before you know it, he is second in command of the nation, Aram, Syria, to you and me. This guy has made it, and some of you here have made it. You are mighty in the eyes of your master, whether you're a man or a woman, you are mighty in the eyes of your master, and everything is good, everything is sweet, life is going fantastically, he has got land, and he's got slaves, the NIV says, servants, <laughs> there's no servants here, he owns them, he owns them, until he finds the spot, and some of you have found the spot, you've found the lump, you've had the cough, you've gone, oh what is that, and everything's been fantastic until it isn't, have you ever had that experience? Yeah, life is so good and then suddenly it comes crashing down and you know those people and some of you have been those people and if you haven't got Jesus in your life when you find the spot that is absolutely devastating I mean it's not brilliant when you know Jesus is it when you found the lump in your breast 
or wherever it is, is absolutely devastating. And here is Naaman, right? And he is a horrible piece of work. Because you do not get to be the commander of the armies of Aram by being nice. He is powerful. And he is mighty. And he is terrified. Because he's got leprosy. And the Bible uses the word leprosy. It's not Hansen's disease necessarily. Which is this horrible disease which you can still get. It's, it's viral. You can catch it. Oh, what does that remind us of? Hey? Who are you sitting next to this morning? Have they coughed? I don't know about you, but, but anybody who coughs near me at the moment, I'm like, hey, up. <laughs> our, our administrator came into work on Thursday, and she's, she, um, she's had this experience. She had to have chemotherapy a few years ago, so she catches everything. And she walks into church, and she's going, go home! <laughs> she's like, I'm a bit full of cold. No, you're not, go home! I, like, I pretended I was a lovely pastor. Oh, Helen, go home, I'm worried about you. But really, it's just selfishness, isn't it? I do not want to be sick. I'm coming to Amisham this weekend. I'm not going to cough all over you. I'm not going to go home. There is this horror. That, as we read 2 Kings 5, we, we perhaps get the impression that perhaps the king is already aware of Naaman's disease. But he isn't. Because in this society, if you have leprosy, you are immediately cast out. If you've got coronavirus, you are immediately cast out. Go and self-isolate. Get away from here. But this has been a little secret in the household. He's found a white spot and the white spot has spread and it's become a lump and then he's got another lump and then he's got another lump. And the, and the household are aware that he's got this spot and he deserves it. Doesn't he? Because he's a git. Isn't he? He's involved in human trafficking. That's what we call that now. Where do you get your car washed? You find out where the people come from. Because some of us are involved in human trafficking. We don't even know we're doing it. He's involved, in, but he's deliberate. He is bought into the ancient slave trade. And he gets leprosy. And for some of us, we're going, get in. Because he deserves it. It's karma. Right? But karma is crap. And grace is great. And, and our culture is bought into the idea of karma. And, and it's infected the church. Listen, if you've got a Buddha at home, go home, get a hammer, smash it. Because it's an idol. And, and it is hopeless. And this idea within Buddhism that says you get what you deserve is absolutely anti to the Christian gospel. What Jesus says is, I get what you deserve. I take what you deserve. Karma is crap, but grace is great. This young girl, here she is. Uh, this might not actually be a picture of her. should probably just say that. But this young girl, there she is in this household. And the man who has enslaved her is going to die. What would you do? Think of that evil boss. I mean, most of us in this room have not been trafficked, have we? But we've all had bosses that we've hated. We've all had people that we wanted, you know. I I had it in my first few years in Liverpool. Angie and I brought a lot of change to the church. Now that is painful. You're not allowed, apparently, to have people assassinated when you're a pastor. (laughs) I mean, who knew? We have to guard our hearts so carefully. I ride a motorbike. And uh, I'm riding down my street. My street's a long street. I'm riding down my street this week. And, this, and somebody pulls out on me. I mean, it's a big blue 
bright machine with lights on and he pulls out on me. And then he speeds up because he's pulled out on me and he's embarrassed and also possibly slightly afraid. Because bikers, you know, we're all terrifying, aren't we? And as he pulls away, I happen to know that there's a police speed trap 100 yards down the, line, down the road. And for a second, I am like, get in! And then I remember what I was preaching on. <laughs> Lord, please help him slow down. Would you be the one? Would you be the one that said, Master, you need to see the prophet in Israel because he can heal you. But you are the one. Because you work in that office, you work in that family, you work, you don't work in the family, but you are in that family, you are in that school, you are in that uni, where, the, where people need to get to Jesus. And you need to be the one, you need to be the one that, that, that says, hey, you know what, there is a cure for what ails you. There is a cure, you can, you can get somebody to him. It's an incredible thing. You know, there are super spreaders. Have you heard that phrase recently? And the people who say about coronavirus, some of us are so infected, we're giving it to everybody. And I am possibly one of those people. I haven't got the disease. But I am such a tactile person. How many people have I tried not to hug this morning? Hey, how are you doing? I'm a hugger. I'm a toucher. You know, I touch my face. Oh, everything's a disaster, isn't it? It's a nightmare. And there are those people like that who are followers of Jesus, aren't they? Super spreaders. There's a retired, well, he's with the Lord now, there's a retired clergyman in my neighborhood. And I, I ride a Triumph. It's the only motorcycle that's in the Bible. So uh, I, I'm, I'm parking me, although victory probably as well. Anyway, moving along. Um, I'm parking me Triumph one day uh, outside the local shops. And, uh, and this local elderly clergyman sees me. And he walks up to me. And he said, of course, the greatest Triumph is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, straight in there with the gospel. And I take my helmet off and go, Alan, it's Nick from Long Lane. Oh. (laughs) You know, you already know Jesus, I'm not interested. He was a super spreader. Some of you were terrified of that. It's all right, you don't need to be a super spreader. You just need to be the one. You just need to be the one that in the situation you are in right now, you speak for the Lord. Because our God heals and that is a great opportunity when people are sick to say, you know what, Jesus can heal you. And if you step out for God, he will step up for you. He will. If you say, you know what you need, you need my pastor. I mean, just do what the girl does. She doesn't pray for him, does she? She just says, you need my pastor to pray for you because you will be healed. It's going to be busy. I'm going to, that's okay. We've seen amazing healings in our church in the last 18 months. We've seen a girl with schizophrenia healed. Now, that, you don't get that. The people with schizophrenia don't get healed at all forever. They will be sick forever. She was on maximum antipsychotic drugs. And, I mean, for 18 months she's been healed. Not a temporary, I'm just well now. Woo. And at some, point, at some point, she might hit the Christian press, but not if I can help it. Because people's healings are not for your titillation. They are for the glory of God. We, we, we saw our youth pastor's wife go to Soul Survivor in a wheelchair and come out running. Amazing. She's she still got some pain. I don't quite understand that. But, but she's not in the place she was in. We saw a friend of ours, we were uh, fasting and praying as a leadership team because we were seeing young people sick. I mean, if you're old, it comes with the territory, doesn't it? Essentially. 
But if you're young, if you're in your 20s and 30s, you shouldn't be sick. And we were seeing young people sick. So we were praying and fasting as a leadership saying, Come on, Lord, will you break in here? And one of our friends is in a, she, she's got a, got a job with her sickness because the, the, the employees are going, yeah, okay, we can cope with that. Uh, works for a Christian college and she's praying in a, in a prayer meeting one day, praying for mundane things. And she said, I feel like God drops something on me. And I'm just, well, suddenly. And mate, we called it Super Wednesday. It was the same day our youth pastor's wife was healed. Amazing. And how many of the people in my church are still sick? Lots of them. Lots of them. John Wimber says, well, he doesn't say it anymore. He's with the Lord, isn't he? But, uh, and he died of sickness. Funny that. But Wimber used to say, if you pray for no one, none out of none get healed. But if you pray for ten and one gets healed, that's not bad, is it? Here we have a challenge to us to be the one to believe in the, in the God of the songs that you sing on a Sunday morning. Yeah? Jesus, Jesus. There is none like you. I mean, this is terrifying what she does. It is terrifying. Because Naaman goes away angry. What if he comes home? What if he comes home unhealed? Because that, that's the fear, isn't it? What if I speak out for God and God doesn't show up? That's the fear, isn't it? What if I, I mean, I believe it, but, but it's harder for me to believe it for somebody else. But we have to trust in the one who knows your name. We have to trust in the one who's called you by name. We have to trust in the one who's put you in the place he has put you. That he will deliver on his word. And if he doesn't, he's not worth worshipping. If Jesus is not raised, then we are to be pitied more than all people, Paul says. But he is! And he's alive! And he's moving. And he's moving in power. So church, we need to be the one. We don't know what happens to her. We don't know whether she's set free. We don't know whether she gets a promotion. We know nothing about her. Except that she stands up and stands out and speaks out and says there is somebody who can help. She didn't even say it's me. I mean, that's great for you guys. You're not claiming any glory. You're just saying there is one uh, who can help. I don't know if you've seen these signs. Life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Have you seen them? You might have one in your kitchen. I particularly don't like them, which is why I thought I'd share it with you. So, <laughs> so I particularly don't like them because I don't think it's, it's necessarily true. I actually think life begins in your comfort zone. Find out what you are good at and go and do it better. That's, that's what we need to do as humans. We need to, to practice a thing that we are best at. That's why I practice preaching. <laughs> or, or the other way, anyway. Why, why, why would we, you know... You go through school, I mean, I did go to school. And you go through school and they make you work harder at the stuff you can't do. I mean, I did a fantastic theology degree at uh, London School of Theology. It was called something else. I'm that old when I went there. But I had to practice Greek. I was terrible at it. But you have to practice the stuff you're not good at. But when you get set free from that stuff, when you become a grown-up, you can practice the things you want. Practice what you are best at. But there is the challenge with these signs, isn't it? That says, you know what, sometimes you need to push yourself a little bit further. And your comfort zone might not be to share your faith. Your comfort zone might not be to challenge somebody. But, but the Lord is expecting you to do that. And I would even say he's setting you up to do it. We, we pray often, Lord, take us to the right people and keep us away from the wrong people today.
pray that prayer, it is scary. Because he answers and he brings you to amazing people. I had a quiet day uh, a week or so ago. I walked the, the Mersey, it's absolutely beautiful. So I walked and prayed and listened to some podcasts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then I went to the pub and had a pint and a burger and kind of journaled all the things that I'd, uh, I'd thought the Lord was saying to me. And then I went home. And on the way home, I'm in a train, uh, Lime Street train station uh, in Liverpool. And I prayed that the Lord would bring me to the right people that day. And I, I've spoken to, I, I saw one person from my church. I mean, she might have been the right person. But I still hadn't met anybody. And I'm walking through Lime Street and there's somebody from Save the Children trying to get me to sign up to sponsor a child. And I learned two fantastic things. The first thing is she said to me, hey, how's your day been? I said, it's been amazing. I've walked the river and prayed for the city. Oh, honestly, that shuts them up straight away. (laughs) I mean, straight away she's like on her back foot going, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. You are weirder than me. (laughs) And I was. Uh, That was great. I had a little spiritual conversation with her. The second thing I learned was this. Uh, she said, she said uh, I said, yeah, yeah, I've walked the city, I've prayed, prayed for the city. And then I went to the pub and had a pint and I said, oh, I can't sign you up if you've been at the pub. <laughs> so there's a little hint for you. They can't sign you up if you've been to the pub. <laughs> you might not drink. That is absolutely fine. But when they say, would you like to sponsor 1,500 children for Oxfam? I say, oh, I'm really sorry. I've been to the pub. Okay. So. But I'm always praying for the one. I'm praying for the one. Lord, Put me in a place where I can speak for you. You sometimes have no idea what your word does. And we don't always get to see what our word does. But you need to know this. That God will honour you for standing out for him. Years ago, Angie and I had a friend. uh, She's called Lisa. And um, we, we don't entirely know what we did. But we did something right. Because about six years ago, Lisa comes back to our church. She's been battered by the church. Some of you know that experience. Been battered by pastors and leaders. You know, maybe some of her fault, maybe some of theirs. But she's been battered. Her husband's left her. You know, she's lost her marriage. Life's been pretty rubbish. And then she's met this guy. And he's got a similar story. His name's Martin. And Martin uh, is, is, is the son of missionary parents. And he's not been in church for 30 years. But he wants to re-engage with his Christian faith. And Lisa's trying to disengage from a Christian faith. Because it's been horrible. The church has been horrible. Sometimes it is. Sorry Lord. Because sometimes it is. But she says to Martin, okay, they've met each other, they get married. And then they're like, come on, we've got married. Let's, let's." he's saying, let's go to church. She's saying, there's only one church I'll go to. Let's go to the lane where Nick and Anja are. Because we've somehow been the one and we don't know what we've done but they come to our church and three years later she's our cap centre manager and, and he leads our children, some of our children's work so we've been the one but you see that, that's not where the story ends because Lisa then becomes the one she's a cap centre manager and she goes and visits a lady uh, who is in terrible debt her name is Bernadette <laughs> I mean isn't that the best name for a cap client Christians Against Poverty. My name's Bernadette. Come on, hallelujah, Jesus is here. <laughs> Amazing. So, the, the, you know, the deal, with, uh, the deal with CAP is that you pray. You invite and you pray for the person. And, you know, if they don't want any of that stuff, it's fine. We're, we're still going to sort out your debt. 
Bernadette is a lapsed Catholic. She's, she's, you know, God no longer is interested in me because of the stuff I've done. Some of you know that feeling. And Lisa invites her to church. And she doesn't come for about six weeks. And then she thinks, you know what, I will try it. And she comes to church and she goes like, I don't know what this is, but it's not church that I'm used to. That bloke at the front's funny. It was somebody else that morning. And she comes to church and she meets Jesus. Like powerfully that first week. And every week since, an 18-year-old daughter saying, I want to come. She said, you can't come. And a daughter said, I want to come. No, you're not coming, it's my thing. I mean, that is, that is the best evangelism strategy. Just t- Monday morning, in work, say, you can't come to church and walk away. <laughs> Honestly, it will work beautifully. Don't touch that. So, Bernadette comes to faith. She wants to get baptised. She's getting baptised. Uh, she was getting baptised in July. Uh, the, 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 a couple of days before her baptism service, we've got a, local, a fun day from the local school. And she's on our cap stall because she's gone debt free in every sense of the word. So she's debt free on the cap stall. She starts talking to this young couple who were not interested in cap, but they're interested in church. They don't know why they are, but they want, they, 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 they kind of want something. And they don't know what it is. They're, they're missing Jesus. They just don't know that Jesus they're missing. So they invi- she invites Rob and Emma to come. She invites them to come to her baptism. They've actually become really good friends because they come and they've come every week since. And about eight weeks ago, we dedicated their little boy to Jesus. We've got some stuff to deal with, like marriage and that kind of stuff. But you need to be the one, because you have no idea what link you are in the chain. And that story is not finished. But God is moving, and he will keep moving. You don't know, you don't know what you're saying sometimes. You just think, I, haven't, I didn't nail that. I didn't do it very well. But God is saying to you, be the one. This is almost an international incident because she says you need to go and see the prophet but something is lost in translation. Maybe because he's embarrassed. What did you say to the king? There's a girl that we own and she reckons I can be healed if I go to Israel. So perhaps Naaman fudges it a little bit but whatever. He is sent then to the king of Israel and the king of Israel is called Joram and Joram is not a follower of Yahweh. Don't send people to those who don't follow God. They are useless in healing. Send them to those who know the almighty God. Send them to those who know that he can do something, who have confidence uh, in him. And Elisha gets the, gets the, I don't know, has Elisha got a spy in the camp? We don't know, but Elisha hears that the king is in torment. What can I do with this botty fellow? What do I do with him? Elisha says, send him. Send him to me. See, to be the one, you need to know the one. You need to know the one. And Elisha knows the one. He is absolutely confident in himself. He's absolutely confident, rather, in his relationship uh, with God. He's so confident that he doesn't even go and pray for the guy. He doesn't even go and pray for them for him. He just says, go and get washed. Go over there and get washed. And this is where Naaman is horrified. And I was just thinking about how do we... How do we transpose this into Buckinghamshire? It's a bit like he says this. Hang on, not that one. Not that one. That one. It's a bit like he says this. Go and get washed in the Tees. <laughs> That's where I'm from. I'm from Hartlepool, just north of the Tees. Go and get washed in the Tees. I mean, there is fish there apparently, but they've got four heads. 
And, and Naomi's going, hang on a minute, I, I could go to Henry on Thames. I could go to Marlow. Marlow, the water there's lovely. And, and Elisha's going, gone doing the teas and dipping that. Because this is about knowing the one and it's about obeying the one. So if you, if you say you know the one, if you say that you know Jesus, then you need to obey Jesus. And Jesus sometimes asks you to do difficult things. I mean, sometimes he asks you to do really, really hard stuff. And he called me to Liverpool. Sometimes he asks you to do hard things. And maybe God's calling you to something hard today. And you know he is. And you've been putting your head in the sand. You've been sticking your fingers in your ears. And you've come here this morning thinking you're safe and you are not. Because God knows where you sit. And he knows your name. And he's saying, stop it. He's saying, put it down. He's saying, walk away from it. He's saying, sell it. He said, give it up. And seek first the kingdom of God. What do you need to obey God over this morning? Elisha says, go and get washed in that murky river. The Abana was called the Golden River by the Greeks. The Jordan wasn't. Go and get washed in that river. What is God calling you to this morning? This thing is doing my head in. Hang on, there we go. Obey the one. Is there any physical reason why he calls him to go and wash in that river? Absolutely not. It's a step of faith. God sometimes calls you. I've got friends who had to go across the world to get healed. Why couldn't they get healed in their local church? Because God is asking for obedience. He's asking for obedience. And sometimes you need to obey. And if, you, you know, if you're one of those who goes, oh, you know, when the call is forward, I'll just sit here and God will move because I'll just sit here. And God's going, hey, mate, if you can't just get off your backside and walk to the front, why should I? I, I, I God speaks like that. <laughs> I think he does, though. Come on, church. If we really want to see God move in our lives, in our town, in our nation, then we, the people of God, need to be obedient. I can see the hint at the back. So we'll flick to this one. This, this encounter changes Naaman's life forever. He is healed, and that's incredible. But he does die. That's also incredible. Because when he dies, he knows the one. He knows the one. This has changed his life. You might get healed, you might not. But do you know the one? Life might change you, it might not. But do you know the one? That young slave girl probably stayed as a slave girl. But she knew the one. She knew the one. We ask two questions every Sunday morning at the lane. What is God saying And what are you going to do about it? What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Who is the person, and you know them already, that you need to be the one to? Who is that person that you need to speak to this week? That you need to invite to something? That you need to pray about something? That you might just need to give a little bit of advice to? You know what, if you stop screaming at your husband and buying something nice, that might change his attitude. Who is the one that you need to get involved with? What is God saying to you this morning? And what are you going to do about it? I wonder if you'd stand with me. If you're able. And if you just hold out. I mean you don't have to do this. You know, I'm not that sort of guy. But if you'd, 
God's got something for you, and, and you need to be obedient. Just, just hold your hands, and let's just ask the Lord. He's got something for you this morning. He's already spoken things over you. He's already challenged you. Don't let it go. Father God, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you that you are the one that we need to know. That you are powerful and mighty. That you are the healer and the saviour. Lord, I pray that you will show us who you are calling us to. Lord, I pray that you would show us what we need to do. Lord, give us the strength of obedience this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Just, are we, we going to worship? We are we? No, we're not? That, is that it? Well, before we do that then. There's one thing I want you to do with that. If God has spoken to you this morning and he's specifically told you to do something, you cannot leave until you've told somebody what you're going to do. Don't tell me I live 200 miles away. And therefore, I am no good in accountability. But if God has called you to sell your house, and I have, we have done this, it's not a joke, to sell your house and get off the mortgage ladder, that is mental in this world, but our God is no one's debtor. If he tells you to do that, and to move from your beautiful home in Newcastle to Buckinghamshire, because he goes before you, then you need to tell somebody you're going to do it. Because then they can hold you to account. I thought God had said that to you, what you're still doing here. You need to, you need to make yourself accountable. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you hope because we are a people of hope. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.